A few years ago, I was able to accompany my wife to uh, to, the Arizona, to Arizona, to the Phoenix area, and while we were there, we decided we'd take a little extra time and we'd go visit the Grand Canyon. I'd never been there. She'd never been there before. And so we went and, and we drove up there and uh, got, and it wasn't really busy that day, and so we got right into the a parking lot very close to, to, uh, to uh, not, not a long ways to walk at any rate, and uh, began to walk uh, towards the area where we figured the canyon was. And uh, somehow we got a few feet apart, and I was ahead by accident, I guess. And I got up, and I figured there'd at least be some railings or something. And I got about this far from the edge of the canyon and realized where I was, and I saw what was before me, and I had no more control over my body. And I went flat down because I was shocked and in awe at the same moment. Shock and awe. Seems like we heard that a few years ago and it was supposed to stop a war. I don't know if it did or not. But I know what shock and awe is when you come up to the canyon. And so I was pretty much immobilized by the by the awe of it, the beauty of it, but the 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 fear of it as well. It was pretty scary. Huge. Unbelievable. Shock and awe. Well, what I want to share this morning comes from Matthew chapter 17. If you have your copy of God's Word with you, would you turn uh, to uh, Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17. Uh, Let's stand as we read this portion of Scripture in uh, respect for God's Word. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down on the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anybody what you've seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, shock and awe. Yes, Lord, the very presence of you. Shocking and awesome, Heavenly Father. 
and your son Jesus, the very glory of God, there and here, Lord, living, breathing, ministering, and yet awesome in power. Thank you, Lord. Praise you for your word. Pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I want to just mention four things about this scripture. One, the first one that the Apostle Paul speaks about Old Testament glory. The Old Testament glory of the law. We'll take a look at that. Next, the synoptic gospel writers, that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Those writers described this New Testament glory. All three of them did. Third, John and Peter both later declare it. And fourth, what then must be our response? The Apostle Paul has written in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. If you'd like to turn there, that would be helpful. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in the 7th verse, he's written about our Old Testament glory, the glory of the law. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7. Now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, talking about the law, the Old Testament law, the Ten Commandments. I'll start again. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness. For what, has glor- for what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts. And so Paul is talking here about the Old Testament. He's talking about the Old Testament situation And he's pointing ahead, even as he speaks about this Old Testament law, this Old Testament glory that he's going to uh, explain a little bit. He is talking about Christ coming, isn't he? So even in the Old Testament, that glory is known and seen. Now, some people might say, you know what, Moses, he, he just got a bad sunburn. He was up there on that mountain and you know how the air gets thin and when he came down again, it doesn't say anything about any pain. It doesn't say anything about any discomfort. It doesn't say that somehow he was all red in the face. No, it says the glory shown. The glory of God reflected off him. That glory was so strong that what did God say? You can't even look at me. If you look at me, you're going to die. And so he, had to, he kept uh, Moses from seeing him 
directly. But even indirectly, that glory affected Moses to the extent that his face, what? It shone. It wasn't just red. It wasn't a little bit puffed up. It shone, it, the Bible says. Wow. And what was that glory about? That glory was about the letter the letter of the law that actually kills. and But the, it's the spirit that brings life. And even in these times, they were looking forward. Even in those many, many, many generations ago, they were looking forward to Christ coming, the glory of God. One more scripture, Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 Verses 13 and 14 talk about what this glory is all about. In fact, I think we'll start in verse 12. Verse 12 of chapter 5 of Romans. Paul writes this, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men, because all sinned. For before the law was given... Sin was not sin was in the world. I have to read that again to make it clear. For before the law was given, sin was in the world, but sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. People were dying from Moses, uh, from uh, Adam until Moses. Because of what Adam did, people were dying. It says, death reigned anyway. So is the law glorious? Yes, because the law personalizes this. They had no idea what the problem was. They had no idea how they could prevent it. Until God in his mercy gave the glory of the law. Paul in another section of Romans talks about how what a gift that was. The law is a tutor. The law is a tutor to lead us safely to Christ. Where Christ brings the forgiveness of sin. Christ brings life. And so the law, even though people were dying, it says, nevertheless, death reigned until the law came. What did the law do? Law made it personal. Now each one knew, okay, here's the problem. I have sinned in this way. How do I deal with it? In the Old Testament, they dealt with it the way God wanted them to, which was to sacrifice and to spill blood. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness, the Old Testament tells us. But it's pointing ahead, isn't it? Pointing ahead to the true glory and power of Jesus Christ. What a glorious gift the Ten Commandments are. Yes, the law kills, but it leads us to the Savior. It leads us to the Savior. Secondly, the three synoptic gospel writers 
described that New Testament glory. I mean, just for a moment, try to imagine it. Here you were, those three friends. (laughs) Jesus says, come with me up the mountain. I'm going to go pray, which he was, and he did. Up the mountain they went, but what happened? Each of the writers has just a little bit different focus. They each of them look at those uh, happenings with just a little different, from a little different uh, perspective. But they all say the same thing. That Jesus was changed in front of them. The power of God, the very light, the very glory of God began to show through Jesus. One of them says, his clothing became bright. Another says, his face began to shine. A third one says, his appearance changed. It wasn't just a reflection of anything. His appearance changed. The power that he had began to show through. They began to see that Christ was God. And it terrified them. And it shocked them at the same time. And they were flat on their faces. Jesus, in his loving kindness, invited them to get up. To come to the realization of who he was. Peter, you know, is always, he's oftentimes a little quicker to talk than he is to Think about what he says. Maybe you know some people like that that sort of get their mouth going before their brain gets engaged. Well, whether or not it was a mistake on his part or whether it is the way uh, that he was uh, wanted, wanted it to be communicated, who knows. But he says, let's build a couple of tents, tabernacles, places uh, of safety for us. He said, let's, if it's okay with you, Lord, if it's okay, here's what... I want to do, I want to build a one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Moses, by the way, representing that Old Testament law. Elijah representing the prophets and Christ representing the new spirit, the New Testament. Well, so there's three equals, right? They could have thought that. Some people have even interpreted this scripture to say that and are... uh, trying to uh, take away the true Godhood of Jesus by doing it. But God himself spoke up, didn't he? He said, this is my son. This person that you see in front of you right now that is glorious, powerful. One of the writers describes the clothing as very fancy, special clothing, not like the robes they were wearing, but they had lots of things changed as that transfiguration happened to show those three disciples. This this person is God. The voice of God. The very voice of God. Well, John and Peter also talked about it. John and Peter both later declared something about that. I'm 
Uh, I'll find it in uh, John chapter 1. John chapter 1. And, of course, John was one of the the ones that was actually there. And uh, this is what he says. He didn't include all the details like Matthew and Mark and Luke did. But John speaks of it in chapter 1, verse 14. He says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Then what does he say? We have seen His glory. (laughs) We've seen that. He is recalling that very moment, that transfiguration. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Later, in the book of Revelation, John writes about it. He said, Jesus' hair was as white as snow, as white as wool, uh, uh, and uh, as, as bright as the sun. In Revelation 21, he talks about the glory of God. The glory of God shone through Jesus in the New Jerusalem. And in chapter 21 of Revelation, he writes that the city had no need of the sun or the moon because God gave the light and His Son is the lamp. That's Revelation chapter 21. Peter also wrote about it, maybe the most poignant of all of them, in Second Peter chapter 1, and verse 16. 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 16. Peter writes this. He says, We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For He received honor and glory from God the Father, When the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Friends, he's talking about the transfiguration. He's talking about the time when he saw with his own eyes, Jesus, fully man, began to show his godly, fully God, power. If that isn't encouragement, for us today. If that doesn't help us to keep our faith in Him, if this picture of what God has allowed us to see in Scripture isn't exciting, friends, I don't know what could be. Tim Keller, a, a Christian writer, said that the miracle really isn't that Christ was transfigured and but that he could hold it in that long because he was truly, truly God. 100% man, 100% God. If that is all true, and it is, then what should be our response? What are the things that we see here that should be our personal response to the transfiguration, to the truth about Jesus? Well, first of all, to believe in him. To believe 100% in Jesus In this day and age, friends, don't tell me you don't question it once in a while. In this scientific world where everything has to be, well, science tells us. Well, science says. Well, who in the world is science? Jesus Christ. 
is who we ought to believe and to believe in and to hold as the only hope for eternal life. Secondly, God said in, through Matthew, listen to him. What does that mean to you? In one ear and out the other? No, that's easy to do though, isn't it? It means obedience, doesn't it? When God said, this is my son, listen to him. He's calling on us who believe to obey. Can any of us ever obey completely? No. That's why we need a time of confession every so often. That's why we need uh, repentance. You all know the difference between confession and repentance. You've heard it a hundred times, but I want to remind you, just in case somebody here hasn't heard that, to confess is simply to agree with God that we need Him. To repent is to actually take our lives and turn the other way, away from sin, towards God. Repentance has that idea of turning away from what we have been doing, turning toward God in obedience to what we should be doing. What else? Deep gratitude. Deep gratitude to Jesus Christ. He suffered. He died. This all-powerful guy, this shining star, went to the cross. Did he need to? Had he sinned? So he had to go and pay with his blood that way? The only way he could be saved, right? Because he had... No. Jesus Christ was was sinless. His blood was shed for you and for me. His blood was shed that we sinners could have eternal life through him. And friends, if you see the shock and the awe of the transfiguration and realize and recognize that that's Jesus, it should also give us the confidence to share with others the truth about life, death, and eternity. Because we know that Jesus lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that you allowed Jesus to show those three of his inner circle who he really was. Oh, that confidence didn't come right away, but after he rose and the Holy Spirit came, they were brave. Oh, Lord, let us be brave, sharing with our loved ones, sharing with neighbors that you, Lord, are the only way to heaven. Thank you, Lord. We praise you. Give us confidence. Give us your grace. Give us joy. Amen.